0: Okay, hello friends and welcome to the Chaburah. Today we have an exciting public Shiur with our Rosh Bet Midrash, the head of the Chaburah, Rabbi Joseph Dweck. Today is the second installment of Rabbi Dweck's four part series on Haram Bam's introduction to the Perik where today we will explore three approaches people take when studying the works of the words of Chazal. Uh, for those who are new, welcome. We are doing incredible work at the Chaburah, besides fascinating and, and public and members Shiurim. We have an active online and physical network, a journal, get-togethers, and a publishing house. Uh, Please God, very soon, we'll be coming out with a book on Pesach Uh, for the Hebrew speakers out there. uh, The Chabura has an entire Israel-Hebrew side with amazing lectures, a journal in Hebrew, get-togethers in Israel. I highly recommend everyone to become a member, to join this wonderful initiative. Um, As usual, all our classes are recorded and will be available on our website after. If you are listening on YouTube or a podcast, please like, subscribe, share, leave a review, and help us share Cutting Edge Torah. If you have any questions, please raise your hand or post in the chat box. And please, God, there will also be time for questions at the end. Uh, With that said, thank you so much, everyone, for joining. It It is a privilege to have you with us, and the floor is yours.
1: Thank you, Rav Ohad. The privilege is all mine. You're getting very good at these introductions, I must say. It's like, just flows. Just flows. Amazing. All right. Um, we are in uh part two of our of our uh, study of Harambam's Hakdama to Perikhilik in Sanhedrin. I'm not going to go through what the Hakdama to Perikhelik is. I did that in the first year. We're going to pick up where it is that we left off. And where we left off was that Harambam was talking about in his opening, right? In the first part of is his introduction, about how people think about the aspects of uh, or Torah, and Chameem, that talk about things that are not this world necessarily. Things like Gan Tehiyat Mid, although those things might happen in this world, we'll see what Haram thinks. But things that are not here that we think about in terms of, you know, the eschatological aspects of life. And he discusses Olam Ba and Tehiyat Metim and Gan Eden and the days of the Mashiach. And he speaks about what he, in his experience, finds that people think of those things. And one of the things that he continues to say over and over when he's treating it at the beginning is, they find these things in the words of HaKhamim, and the words of Hazal. Right? HaKhamim say things that prompt these ideas that people have about these concepts and, and, and things. So what Harambam is going to do in, uh, now, where we're at with regards to our study, is to address how to read hachamim, right? In other words, how should we read? Now, in doing so, he also identifies how people tend to read hachamim, and he addresses three different types of approaches, calls them groups. And he says group one uh, approaches it this way, group two approaches it this way, and group three approaches it this way. And the reason why he's doing that is because the hachamim are, you know, they address these concepts of tahiyyat amitim, ulama and so on, because these are essentially uh, a metaphysical concepts and abstracted concepts to a certain degree, the hachamim speak about them in, um, they speak about them in terms that are not always straightforward. Yeah, they, when we see about that, I'm, I'm going to leave really all, uh, you know, that for Harambam to present to us. But because of that, when the, when people read the words, the dirash, right, the, expa, the, 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 uh, the expounding of the hachamim on these ideas, they um, don't always get how it is that the Akhamim are intending that these things should be absorbed and read. Okay? So Harambam is going to address those three different um, approaches that he and his experience finds in the general Jewish population. Uh, it's very likely that you will see that nothing has changed in close to 900 years, and that we still, in the Jewish population, tend to approach the words of the Hachamim in very similar fashion. Um, And so, and it's important to recognize that when Harambam wrote this, it is very likely that he imagined that it would continue to be so, right? I don't think that Harambaum necessarily believed that in 900 years, all of a sudden, this would change, because it's very much fundamental to the nature of the human condition and human psychology. And so there will always be these approaches. He doesn't say that explicitly, I'm saying that, but it's something nonetheless that he's put down in a book and expected for people to read far after he was around. We know that he thought that about writing books in general. So we're going to get into this. We're going to look at this and and uh, hopefully have a better understanding of how indeed we should uh, approach um, the midrashim of the hachamim and the, and the uh, presentations of the hachamim that deal with metaphysical ideas and uh, more abstracted ideas that are not necessarily straightforward. This class, I will say, is important to... Um, it's an important class. I mean, all of the classes that we give are very valuable to the to the repertoire that is in the gro- ever-growing treasury of the chaburah. But this class specifically is of, of utmost importance uh, because it really does address a fundamental... Fundamental. I mean, I can't even... Uh, express that any more uh, strongly. It is a fundamental uh, um, uh, principle in Jewish uh, thought and teaching as to how it is that we address and relate to these words or these approaches of the Hachamim, um, and it really does have a great deal to do with the the nature of the Judaism itself. It will affect how Judaism functions based on how it is that we read these things. Okay, so that's enough of an introduction. I'm going to get into it with you. I am very grateful to our member and uh, the the, the uh, coordinator of the Hebrew side of the Habura, uh, Rav Eli Sha'ubi, who sent to me the PDF versions of uh, Rav Kafir's translation to the Pirusha Mishnah. So I'm using what he sent me. And he, the way that he has it, and I'll show this to you, it's not him, but the way that it, it comes. One second, one second. I think I did the wrong thing? No, I didn't do the wrong thing. One moment. Oh, I know what I did. I I closed out the. Um, oh boy, one second. I cl- I didn't realize that i I closed the window. Yeah, I did. Oh, that's not. That's going to be annoying. I got to open it again. Forgive me. I have to pause <laughs> because I closed the PDF that I had. Uh, oh, here it is. Here it is. Oh, okay, we've got it. We've got it. We've got it. We've got it. I just have to move it to um, the right window. Okay, good. We are back. We are back. Here it is. It disappeared for a second. Okay. Am I in the right place though? Is what I have to see. Should be. Should be. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. Okay. So the way that this particular version is printed, this is the older version, Is you'll see on this left side, it's Arabic, right? It's, uh, it's Hebrew letters, but it's Arabic, right? So we're going to be only looking on the right column if you're following along. Yeah. Over here, so don't tend, you know, you might have a, a tendency to go up to the next column. Don't because we're going to be going only on the right column, which is the Hebrew. What you must know, says Haramba. That the words of the Hachamim, people approach them in three different ways or in three different groups, right? We can essentially categorize them in three, three different ways. And now he goes through the three categories. He says, the first group approaches it as follows. First of all, they are the majority of people that I've met, says Haramba.. Now we're not just talking about the general populace over here. We're actually talking about rabbis as well, because he says, I've seen their works, right? I've seen what they've written.,, I've heard about them as well, and they Mevinim Otam Kipshatam. These people understand the words of the hachamim at face value. In other words, simply as the hachamim speak is what they understand, and they don't think that anything needs to be unpacked or understood that is underlying in the words that they present. They do not explain the words at all, right? They do not try to find uh, underlying meaning in the words at all. And what has happened as a result of that is that everything that is impossible, that's what nimna' means. Nimna' means it's an impossibility in reality. They've considered impossibilities as imperative realities. Now, I mean, we have to call a spade a spade since Rambam. The only reason they've done that is because they're ignorant. Sikhlut is their ignorance. They have not studied uh, deeper wisdom. Nor have they had any, any real higher education that, has, that, has, that normally would have in its rigor and its uh, requirements of thought, certainly in the abstract, a a prepping of mind to be able to deal with these levels of thought. Now, not only have they not had the proper training, they themselves have not achieved a refinement of their own personalities that would prompt them to thinking on their own, you know something, maybe there's more here to understand, I shouldn't take it at face value. So they haven't had higher learning. They themselves don't recognize that there's something more to be understood here. And there's nobody to tell them. And therefore, given these circumstances, they can only understand from the hachamim what they understand from the hachamim. And that is shehem ki They read it as they're reading a little children's book, right? So they read a story, and they take it at face value, as though it is what it is. Even though when you read the hachamim, especially when they're expounding about, uh, uh, on these things, you find in their words the strangest of ideas to the point, sometimes they say things that are so outlandish that if you were to tell this to a general person, an average person on the street, certainly if you were to tell an intelligent person on the street, they would be astonished and say, how is it possible that there is a human being on earth that actually believes this stuff. I'm not paraphrasing here. This is exactly what Haram bab writes. I'm just translating, right? If Shah ba'ulama then, how could we on earth a person that actually thinks this? I mean, not only would they say that, I mean, it goes without saying that they certainly wouldn't find favor in the eyes of these people, you know, if you were to tell them these things. Oh, you can see already how Haram feels about it, but if you had any question about that up until now, you can hear from here. And he says, This group, Hamiskena, this poor group, Rahmanut al May God have mercy on their ignorance. See, the problem with all of this is, says Harambam is that these people actually believe that reading the midrashim of the hachamim at face value and taking them literally, literally, by doing so they believe that they are exalting the hachamim, right? The hachamim said so, I accept it, whatever it is that they said. And what in reality they are doing, says Harambam, is degrading them. Right, Degrading meaning really bringing them grades down. Right, They're degrading them. In the, the highest extent of degradation. You cannot degrade the achamim more than this, says Haramba. And they have no idea. They don't realize that that's what they're doing. Hashem. Now, this is this is the word of of a swear of an oath, right? Hayashem by God by as God lives, he says. Hakatazo, this this group of people, because of their ignorance and their involvement in things that they really have no business being involved in, that I'm saying, right, based on Haramba's words, because he says it later on. This group, me'abdim hadar ha torah. They destroy the splendor of the Torah. Zuhara, and they darken its brightness. Torah ba, and they take the Torah of God and, and, and treat it and do with it the exact opposite of what it's meant to be. Why? Because God said about the wisdom of his own Torah, people will will hear these laws, right? Will hear these, these, these precepts and the Torah itself, and they will say, I'm filling in the pasuk over here, people will hear Torah as it is meant to be, and they will say, this is only a wise and understanding people, this great, this great nation. But this group, they take from the words of the hachamim, from their simple meanings, not even meanings, right? From their simple, ostensible, right, presentation. Things that if the average human being out there, the nations of the world were to hear us say, what they would say is not "am chacham v'navon," but "am sachal but rather an ignorant and stupid nation, hakatan and a small, nothing nation. No, it's not good as far as Haram is concerned. Because the truth is, unfortunately. There are a whole bunch of orators, right? People who are Doresh, right? They, they like to give Divrei Torah, you know, out into the people. And what they do is they try to help the people understand what they themselves do not understand. ten <speaking in> v'shitku. <Hebrew> who can make it that they should shut up? Says Haram They should just stop talking. Kevan <speaking in> she'ena <Hebrew> They have no idea what they're talking about. They don't understand. If somebody could make it that they could go silent, right? that they can just stop already, that would be a wisdom. Bob doesn't often talk this strongly. right? So you can see that he's extreme. I mean, he's hard. He's, he's strong. I mean, he's definitely direct. But this is, you can see clearly how upset he is about this phenomenon. I mean, at the very least, at the very least, they should say, we don't know what they're talking about. We we don't know what they're talking about. We don't know how to explain it. At least they should say that they don't know. Rather, what happens is, the problem is they think they understood what the Achamim are saying. And what they end up teaching the people is whatever it is that they thought, they understood, but not what the Achamim said. And they love to talk about the dirashot, the midrashim, that it's in Masichet Birachot and in Perak which is in our Perak, in the Gemara. Mostly, right? Where they develop these things. They love to explain it literally verbatim. And that's a terrible, terrible mistake. So that's the first group. That's the first group. I don't know if you know anybody like this, but uh, this is not a good thing. The second group is the opposite of this group, but just uh, almost as bad. The second group, hem there are also plenty of them. Now these people, they're like the average individuals that see the words of the Hachamim, still think that the Hachamim meant that the word should be taken literally. Right? That there's no difference between the two. Right? In other words, the first cut and the second cut, the first group and the second group, both believe that the Hachamim meant for their words to be taken literally. Just that the second group believes that the Hachamim meant for the words to be taken literally, and think that the Hachamim have terrible problems because of this. Right? They, 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 they blame the Hachamim for this. And therefore, they belittle them. They belittle the Hachamim. They insult them. They think that things that the Hachamim say are so odd and strange. When really, they're not odd and strange if you know what they are. They love to denigrate the Chachamim frequently. They think that they're much smarter than them. They think that their thinking is even clearer than theirs. And they believe genuinely that the Chachamim at the time, the Chachamim of the Talmud and the Mishnah prior, we really ignorant people, and uh, terribly lacking in their in their knowledge in all, about all things real, right? Hamitzuyut is things that exist, right? Existential realities. The reality is that they really don't get it at all. Interestingly, the people who tend to fall into this category are the high-level academics, right? What Haran calls the doctors, or or the people that are astronomers, right? So they're they're, they're high-thinking people. Because they believe that they're intelligent, right? They they are. They've set themselves up in the intelligent group, right? The intelligentsia. Right, is what we call them. So the intelligentsia think that the achamim were were really not intelligent, or they're philosophers, right? When reality is, when in, the truth is that according to or in the, the perspective of the real honest to goodness philosophers, they're not terribly upstanding. They're not really fully uh, developed in their in their human in their humanity, and certainly not in their psycho- in their psychological. And intel- and mental capacities now Harambam says the truth is they're even worse in their intelligence, right they are lower intelligence than the first group. why now this interestingly Harambam says about this group and not the previous one. He says they are an accursed group of people right that's literally what Arura means. Sheet partsu. Now also you have to know Ar-Ambam was quite young here <laughs> when he wrote this. I think he mellowed a touch, you know, in his older age, but you know, here he, nonetheless he's he, he says what he said. They are an accursed group of people. She par- anashim rame'a ma'ala. Why? Because they have they have essentially um have have uh, um what's the word they have um lashed out right? They've lashed out at these exalted people, right? The hachamim. They've lashed out at the hachamim. And the hachamim, we, their their wisdom is already very relevant. You know, what I like to say to people often is, you know, you study the Talmud in a in a of halakha in which the hachamim are dealing with things with the most, you know, sophisticated logical developments. And then all of a sudden they talk about, you know, Uh, giant frogs invading Egypt, you know, and you think that, oh, you know, all of a sudden they've had a lapse of judgment. These people, you know, a a page before are the most sophisticated minds and developed thought, and all of a sudden, because they're talking about monster frogs, they're, they're, they're off their rockets. Well, I mean, these are the same people, right? So you have to understand that these are highly intelligent individuals, extremely sensitive not only to the to, to the logical uh, uh, understandings of the world, but to also to human psychology. I mean, there were the few people in their time that had the amazing insights of human psychology. So these people who are lashing out at the hachamim, these intelligent, you know, the intelligentsia, these academics that are lashing out at the Achamim, really don't get that. They're already established in their wisdom. Now, these, you know, academics had had uh you know done the appropriate prerequisite development in their fields and even in study in general <inaudible> to the point that they were to come to understand how we are meant how we write in other words how we convey metaphysics and there's a very important reason why when we are talking about metaphysics which are abstract in nature which deal with sophisticated concepts that requires sophisticated thought and when i say sophisticated i don't just mean level of thought it takes training to think appropriately this way consistently as haram says very often later on in the de Bukhib, i'm paraphrasing just because we think does not mean that we think correctly. And that is a terrible mistake that people make, thinking that because I think it must be correct. So even the academics, right, who are not studying minor things, I mean, you know, the astronomers got to know a lot in order to be able to do this. And the, the doctors have to study a great deal of information. But when we're talking about metaphysics, when we're talking about the mystical elements or esoteric elements, if you will, right, of of of. Of knowledge, when we're dealing with things that, that are that really require a high level of understanding and intricacy, oftentimes the way that we present them are not straightforward. Because to say them straightforward, first of all, is extremely difficult, right? To get it all in. Yeah. So you need to be able to put things out in parable sometimes. You need to be able to give metaphor. Metaphor is extremely important in high-level thought. Because it gives us entries into being able to understand concepts that in basic prose is very difficult to grasp. And so the hachamim did that. And you'll see that Haram is going to say that in a second. But what these people thought is that because these people really, really were not of the level or of that discipline, they don't get that that's how things need to be presented. Once you are in that place, you see a parable or you see a metaphor and you get immediately that it's a metaphor to something that I need to figure out. So they haven't really gotten into the higher echelons of philosophy. Because if they were, then they would get they would really know whether or not, because they would takes one to know one. And then they would get to understand what really the content of their, their, their messages are. So that's the second group. The third group, as God lives, right by you know, as live, by the living God is the best uh, way to translate that. meod, they are there are so few of them in this group. Ad shevshalik ro'el kat. I mean, to the point that really it's a bit uh, of a stretch to call them a group, you know, of people. K'moshhevshalu malah l'shemish The same way that we would say that the sun is a category of things, right? You know. Of course, Hiram didn't realize that the sun was a star, of which there are many. But nonetheless, <laughs> these people, they get the hachem, they get them, they recognize the goodness of their, the 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 the. the the value of their of their intellect and understanding, and they get in their words what they're trying to do. And even though it's really hard to find these people, right? They're all over. They're scattered. You know, you don't find a whole academy of these people, you know, anywhere. Well, at least in their writings, they show that they get what the Achamim are talking about. Not only that, but they're rational. They get what is possible and what isn't possible, what is within reason and not within reason, what is real and what isn't real. And they know that the hachamim that we're dealing with, we're not speaking nonsense. So if they're saying something that on the surface sounds like nonsense, well then that means we've got to really unpack this because there must be something more here. Because they're not just all of a sudden having lapses of sanity. (laughs) And what they understand, as most philosophers or high intellectual people get, is that sometimes you have words that have Surface meanings, or surface presentations, and deeper meanings, and deeper ideas, when you unpack them. And that, everything that the achamim say, that on the surface sounds unreasonable, irrational, unreal, right, meaning not real, all of those presentations of the hachamim, those are all riddles and metaphors. And as it is with riddles, it's the way that the great wise men, wise ones speak oftentimes. It's for that reason that the greatest of of wise people, you know, in our tradition is King Solomon. He opened his book, Mishle, saying This is to understand metaphors and parables. The words of the scholars, of the wise ones, and their riddles. Right? And everybody knows that the definition of a riddle is where the meaning is found in its underlying things that are not said, not in the presentation. And as Shimshon said to the Philistines, I'll riddle you, this. riddle me this. And then he told them a whole bunch of riddles. Because the highest levels of wisdom are best understood through parable and metaphor. We, why should we be so shocked at the fact that the hachamim used a very understood and present tactic? to teach the most uh, abstract and, and metaphysical ideas through parable and metaphor. And so only the lowly thinkers, the the lowly popular thinker, you know, populist people, thought that it is meant to be understood at surface level. As you see, the wisest of all men, again, King Solomon referenced over here, kodesh did so with divine inspiration. Shlomo, you know, we're talking about Shlomo here. Kilomar Shlomo, he wrote, he did this in Mishleh, in Proverbs, in Shire, Shirim, and in Kohelet. Bits of Kohelet anyway. Not the entire Why should it be so strange for us to look at these words and recognize that we need to understand them? We need to interpret them. We need to figure out what metaphor is genuinely coming to teach. Rather than seeing, simply seeing the metaphor as though it is what it is and nothing more. It's the whole point of a metaphor. I mean, what, what are nursery problems not that? Right? I mean, there comes a point in where you realize that, you know, okay, I mean, Goldilocks might not actually have existed. And the three bears, you know, they're interesting, but nonetheless, I mean, there's probably a little bit more there. Red Riding Hood. So when, when we start to figure this out, and we start to realize, no, there are actually some really deep wisdom in those, those stories and some really important thoughts and ideas. Certainly the ones that the are talking about, certainly the things that the are trying to convey. Why should it be so strange? I mean, we see the Achabim themselves do this with Psukim in the Torah. They unpack them and explain them in ways that are not necessarily the surface meanings or what it is that they put out literally. Right? Again, it's a question of understanding literal meanings. We do not look at all of the Psukim of the Torah literally. But as as, uh, The great Donald Hoffman said, just because something is not to be taken literally does not mean it is not to be taken seriously. It's a very important thing to remember. Just because something is not literal doesn't mean it's not serious. Right? This is in Divraya Yamim talking about David Amelech and, and his uh, and his Sabah, or his, one of the the, uh, the officials of the of the army Benayahu Ayahub, ben Yada, who incidentally the Benishai thought he was a reincarnation of, right? It says that he, which is why he called all of his books up based on this Pasuk, it says that he was Benishai Hai Raf Bahale, Mikham He called all of his books. In any case, it says that you know he ripped apart a lion in a in a in a in a pit somewhere in the middle of the snow. Right? Well, kulomashal, Mashal, he says. All of that is mashal. All of that in the it's all metaphor. This that he said, he He didn't add over there the Pasuk says in Bashelig. Right? He went down during a snowstorm and ripped a, a lion apart. Okay. All mashal, says Hanomba. David Medad says in the same perek in Devarim he goes, you know, I'm really thirsty. Could someone please go get me some water from the cistern in Bethlehem? Eh, what? Okay, so there's more there than just David being thirsty and needing particular water from a cistern, you know, a designated cistern. It's the king. The king's got water ready. Ushar All of that. All of that perek. It's all a mashal. The whole book of Yov, according to Harambam. Kulo. One of the achabim said the entire thing was a mashal. It never really happened. Job. It's all written as a story to teach something. If you want to see Harambam's unpackings of some of Sefer Yov, he does so in the Murene Muhim, in the third section, in some of Kaf Aleph and Kaf as of course, in the book it doesn't, in, in the Gemara it doesn't say exactly what the Mashal was. It just says it's a Mashal. And so too, the dead bones of Ezekiel, right? The bones of Ezekiel. One of the Achamim said, it's all a Mashal. never really happened. Okay, fine. There's many, many things like that. This, so now he says, look, now that you know that these are the basic three categories, and the chances are you're familiar with these people, right? He says to you now, now now be honest, he says, now if you reading this are among one of the first two groups that I outlined, I am saying to you, you really should stop reading now. Is what he says, right? You shouldn't read anything that I present in any of those areas. Because because it will not match what you need from me. I, it, it won't work. The truth is, it probably will actually damage you. It'll be damaging to you. And not only that, you'll probably hate it, whatever it is that I say, or hate me, you know, whatever it is, but it'll, it'll definitely be met with hatred. I mean, how are you supposed to feed quinoa to somebody who loves prime rib and, and you know, and uh, mashed potatoes and, and gravy? It's just, he's going to throw it at you. you know? It's just going to bother him and, and, and upset him and, and he will get angry. I mean, you see as it is, those people who came out of Egypt that used to love their salad, you know, their Egyptian salad and and all of the nice fish and whatever and salad that they used to have. And all of a sudden, they got these flaky bits that came out of the sky. They got really upset. Said, we're sick of it already. Now, if you happen to be one of the third group people, that anytime you do see one of these things from the Hachamim, something that you find that your intelligence uh, uh, kind of has has resisted because it certainly doesn't look like it's appropriate on surface, surface level. It's not realistic or reasonable. Well then, if you are one of those, then hold there. And know that this is a metaphor, a parable. And hold with your with your difficulty in understanding. Be in that place. It's okay that you don't get it. Sit with it. Harambam is saying. Sit with it. Work with it. Understand that you're dealing with a, a metaphor. And work with your intelligence, with your thought, to understand it. do haemet. You should be regularly exerting yourself to understand what is the true way of understanding. this. yosher emet. As it says, this is what you're supposed to look for. These are things that are are desirable. Finding the truth in things. Now, contemplate what I've said. And you will gain benefit. If you do. Of course, if God wants you to. Okay, so that's Harambam's presentation in terms of how it is that we're meant to read the words of the Hachamim, in very broad strokes. He makes, you know, he, he does not mince his words. He's very, very clear about it. Doesn't want to make any, uh, you know, be unclear about anything, but there it is. Now, with the last 15 minutes, because I've, I've, I've kind of counted how many pages I need to do in order to be able to finish in four classes, so we're going to continue right here. Now, Harambam, having said that, wants to now address these various things that the Achamim have talked about. Olam Abba, Gana'edid, al and so on and so forth. So he has spoken about what people think about them. He's spoken about what people think about the, the words of Achamim that has caused them to think about what they think about them. And now he actually wants to talk about them realistically. Right? How are we meant to understand these things? So he starts with Olam and he says the following. He says, now I'm going to speak about what I really want to speak about, right? It, it, my introduction is for this purpose, because I need to explain what's Olam about So now that I've got the prerequisites and the introductions out of the way, I can get into this now. It says, no, kikeshem shelo yaseeg HaSomet we say some, the faradim. We don't say suma, which a lot of modern people say. That's our misora, and I, it was very nice because I saw Mishnayot printed from Venezia with Nekudot. My grandfather, my grandpa, my grandpa Dwek had Mishnayot from Venezia that were printed with Nekudot, and it's Menaked Some in those, not Suma. But that's our misora. We say Some. Shelo Siga gas Some in the way that a blind man cannot detect color, and a deaf person cannot know what sound is, and a eunuch really doesn't know what the pleasure of sexual uh, experience is, so two physical entities cannot know the pleasure of spiritual realities. know the pleasure of spiritual realities, because a fish does not know yesod ha'esh. means the, the fundamental building block of fire, right? The nature of fire. Which this is going back to the old days when they used to think that everything was earth, fire, wind, you know, these fundamental elements. Nonetheless, because it's in water, it doesn't know from fire unless, of course, it's burned. But nonetheless, fish The bottom line is, the only pleasure we know is physical pleasure. Bilvat. That's all we ever have. We don't have it, right? Sorry, I think I skipped. All we've got is physical pleasure. Now, it's very important to understand. People say, well, what about spiritual pleasure? You know, when we talk about in our vernacular, spirituality, yeah? It's still physical. It may not be tactile, but it's still physical. Because how do you experience that pleasure? Not with your uh, meat brain, not with the consciousness that emerges from the workings of your brain, or you know, if you're uh, Hoffman and you know it comes through or whatever it is your brain. But nonetheless, whatever it is that we call spiritual is okay. It's it maybe affects us in different ways. It is much more consciousness related. But it's still physical. There's nothing more there. So what Haram is saying is you must understand in the same way that you and I as physical entities do not have the capacity to think of something that isn't physical. Go try it. You can't think of something that isn't physical. What do you think of? Light? Well, that's also physical. There's nothing. Something invisible? Well, whatever it is that you're envisioning that's invisible is still something that you're recognizing as existing on some capacity, and all you could ever know is what's physical. That's all you've got. So that's why Haram Ba'am says, bilvad, you cannot know anything but physical pleasures. Ve'asagat Hushim and what our senses bring us. machal, mishteh, tashmish, food, drink, Sex. Anything outside of this. I mean, anything outside of our physical experiences and senses doesn't exist. Let's be honest, Haram B'anasei. We can't even recognize anything like that. We, We don't even know what it is. We can't grasp it. And even to have some conceptual sense of what it is, it's certainly not in our initial interactions with things or thought of things. It really, really takes some real rigorous thought to be able to get into that space. And it's that way simply because we are physical entities in a physical world. The only thing we know is its pleasures. Right? Spiritual pleasures don't end. Because the only reason things end is because they're physical and break down because of the particles of which they're made. I mean, let's again make no mistake, there is no comparison. You cannot compare. And that's not just talking in terms of value, it's saying they are. Absolutely different entities. They do not have comparable sets or attributes that they, they can be compared with. physical and spiritual things Now at the same time, it's not appropriate for us to say, at least according to the philosophers who deal with these things, that the angels do not have elements of pleasure. Of course, I am editing here, and I'm not saying the stars and the spheres that Harambaum references, because unfortunately he believed—I mean, it wasn't his fault. I mean, everybody in his world believed that that the stars and that the spheres that actually don't exist had consciousness, right? And he felt that he thought that they were quite ethereal, and that was the common understanding of his day, which of course is incorrect, but nonetheless. They have a tremendous sense of pleasure in what? From what they know of God. That's their pleasure. Whatever that means. They are in this state of pleasure incessantly. There is no physical pleasure by them because they have no physical existence. They don't grasp it because they don't have our physical experiences. So they don't know what physical pleasure is. And for us, if we are able to refine ourselves to the point that after death we reach those levels, we will no longer really sense what the physical pleasures were. <inaudible> nor will we want them. Why is Hanabam saying all of this? Because in the introduction, remember, how everybody described Olama Ba'an, Gana'id and so on, it was all just a whole bunch of exciting physical pleasures. So he's trying to divorce that, right? He's trying to take that all out. And he's trying to give us analogies for this. Right, so he's he's giving us analogies for what we mean by not being able to conceive of anything, of having absolutely no reference for what it is. Well, he says, you know, it's kind of like uh, it would be similar to uh, I don't know, you know, a great king wanting to dismantle his monarchy so that he could go and play football in the street again, like a kid. We've heard Stranger Things. And <inaudible> even though it might have been at one point that he did play football in the street. <inaudible> and there was a time in his life where he would have rather played football in the street without and not have to worry about the malchut. But <inaudible> he was younger less intelligent and experienced similar to how it is that we like the physical uh, pursuits rather than pursuing what is spiritual now if you look at the two things you know being a great king with an exalted uh, you know uh, monarchy and playing football in the street uh, they don't compare, right? I mean, it's not, it's not the same kind of thing. <laughs> Even in this world, right? We can see things that are so disparate, right? That you don't really compare them. <laughs> I mean, you can tell that there are certain levels of pleasure that are not fundamental or base physical pleasures in the sense of, Uh, you know, bodily experiences. There are certain things that people will go to extreme extents to achieve that are not bodily pleasures and yet will extend all kinds of money and exertion to receive things like honor. It gets a point in some people's lives that that is much more valuable than great food. <coughs> Some people they get the greatest pleasure in taking revenge. Much more than much more than bodily pleasures. They, they have a much greater sense of satisfaction and, and happiness when they've been able to take revenge on someone. Not only that, we find people foregoing physical pleasures because they're concerned that people will think lower of them if they engage in the pleasures that they want to engage in. So they don't. Why? Because there is a value a hierarchy that is recognized, right? There's a value system and value hierarchy that they recognize that my dignity, my honor is greater to me and I enjoy it more than the physical pleasure that I'm interested in. So there are values. Value system, value hierarchies. Now, if that is the case in our world where everything is physical, and there are these levels of disparity between the enjoyments or, or pleasures that we have. all the more so in the spiritual realm, which is completely exalted from our world. I mean, it's the closer to God, certainly, so it's got to be higher in that capacity. That, my dear friends, is what I call Olam Ba, right? Not what, not what he calls, he's saying that's what Olam Ba is. That's what Haram ba is saying. So essentially, Olam is the place where you find your greatest connection with God. He's not saying this outright, but that's essentially what it is, right? Because he said earlier, right, why do the Malachim have such pleasure? Because they know God in ways that a physical individual cannot. So it is in this, in this reality, whatever this reality is, that your spirit is capable of connecting to God in ways that are beyond anything that we could. And, and think about what it means to connect to God. Some people might not think that that's pleasurable. But think about this, right? This I'm suggesting to you, not Arun Think about the things that you most enjoy in this world, in this life. Is it not true that that enjoyment makes you feel more alive in some capacity? You feel life filling in you? I don't care whether it's a burger or what have you. I mean, you know, you you decide or or a great book or a tremendous movie, whatever the case. Do you not feel in the enjoyment more alive? Yes, of course you do. That's the whole point of enjoyment. The opposite of it is deprivation. So if that's the case, if you are connected to the source of life, I mean, all one is looking for in these pleasures is essentially to feel alive. And if we recognize that God is the source of all life, right? And being able to connect back to that, well, that's that's the goal. It's all, you don't get better than that. And so if one can do that without encumberings, right? Without without uh, limitings, the limiting nature of the physical existence, right? This is all what Haram is pointing out over here. Well, then, I mean, you know, it goes without saying. Yes, one could recognize that perhaps even in our world, a higher level of pleasure is being recognized by others. I imagine you walk into, you know, uh, an auditorium and the whole auditorium stands and claps for you. It's an interesting pleasure, isn't it? Probably a little bit, you know, higher on the on the value rungs, right, than a cold coke on a hot summer day. Yeah, so what I'm saying, so imagine you know the spiritual levels, which essentially are closer to God, right? Those are beyond anything that we really, really get. But it goes to reason that those would be the highest levels of of real experience of life that we have. Because really, when we talk about pleasure, we kind of lose the message, right? Is life about pleasure? No, life is about life. The pleasures give us feelings of life. Well, we can actually be alive, Well, that's unbelievable. And, I mean, because it's spiritual, we really can't give you any analogies for it, because it doesn't compare to anything in our physical world. And as the Navi says, right? he's, he's, he's in wonder of this reality. He says, How great is the good that you have hidden away from those who fear you. That you have enacted for those who have dedicated themselves to you. And what does it mean to dedicate oneself to God if not to dedicate oneself to life? Right, you who cling to the Lord your God, you're all alive, really and truly. said, "That's why they say, you know, there's no eating or drinking there. You don't have to shower, nor do you have to anoint yourselves, because it's taken care of. You know, there's nothing to shower." Nor is there sex, and you know, you'll have to deal with that issue, but nonetheless. Rather, the tzadikim are sitting with their crowns on their heads. And they are enjoying the splendor of the presence of God. It sounds very religious, but it isn't. Because if it were religious, it would be a downer and what they're saying is being connected to the source of life itself and sharing that existence is what it is what are the thotem what are the crowns on their heads the crowns are their heads are the kumeh bekhumuskala it's their wisdom it's their conscious awareness of reality to whatever degree they were able to develop it in life and to whatever degree that plays out in this space As the philosophers have discussed, which we're not going to get into now, says Hanabah. It says that they enjoy the splendor of God's presence. Those souls enjoy what they grasp and understand of God, right? What What they know of God. But it's not just intellect. It's very important to understand that. It's not academic. It's experiential consciousness is really what Hanabam is talking about. It's the state of being. And when you think about it, I mean, you know, I don't want to start you know, messing with you guys, but when you think about it, all you've got is consciousness. Even now. That's all you've got. You think about the things that you feel, And the things that you see, and the sounds that you hear, and the thoughts that you have, all of that happens in the same space that we call consciousness. All of it. It's fundamental, and it's really all that there is for us. He says, In the same way that the angels do as far as we uh, believe. Our goal is to reach as high in that level that we can. And to exist in that space. And so that the soul can can exist as it forever as it was meant to with God, the source of its existence. This is the greatest good, and there is no comparable good to it. There is no pleasure that is comparable to it either. I mean, how can you even compare something that is infinite never dies to something that is constantly dying on a regular basis, like the physical world? That is what the Pasuk means, that it should be good for you and have length of days. Explain this to mean It should be good for you in a world that is all good and it should have length of days in a world that is all long, that is all long never ending but the re, the the recourse that is of highest degree to those who denigrate and reject their own lives and their their dedication to trying to achieve this on whatever level. And it's uh very specific things that could cause such a recourse. And that is that the soul just dies, and it really doesn't carry on after this life. That is what karet is in the Torah. When the Torah says it talks about karet, that's what it's referring to. What is karet It is the cutting down of the soul, right? It is the shutting off, so to speak, right? The destruction of the soul. As the Pasuk says, it shall be cut off using a dual language. Why the dual language? Cut down through death in this world, and never emerges into the other world. And it says otherwise, in positive terms. Uh, Avigail says to David melech when she sees him, right? She was the wife of Naval, but David ended up marrying her. He wanted to kill Naval. And Avigail said, uh, don't do it. Because if you do, you will lose your olam Ba basically. She says, and if you keep this, nefesh aduni, tsurura your soul will be bound always in the bundle of life, right? Which is essentially referring to Olam And that's what we say. We borrow from Abigail. And anyone who has given themselves over completely to the mundane physical bodily life and has essentially rejected and denigrated the truth. And pursuing truth, and and preferred the the shav, which is essentially valueless things. So that person lives as he as his life was right, which is essentially completely and utterly physical and nothing more, and is not then connected to anything higher than that. homer, and therefore he just stays flesh and physical. And so when the physical dies, that's all that there is. The physical dies. <inaudible> and as we've explained already, <inaudible> cannot be grasped or understood or experienced by physical means. <inaudible> and that is what the Pasuk means uh, when it says, the Pasuk in Yeshaya. Oh, when it says, an eye has not seen it. There no eye has seen it except for you, God. Uh, yeah, a was done for those who wait for it. By the way, incidentally, over here reminds me, quoting Ishaya that in the last shi'ur, I quoted a pasuk that I often quote. And I said that it was from Yirmiyah when, of course, it's from Yishayah, and I've said many times it's from Yishayah, I know it's from Yishayah, but I said Yirmiyah because I was confusing, I was tired, and I was confusing it with Echa, and who wrote Echa, so I said Yirmiyahu, so I apologize for that, but it was a uh, you know, cross-wiring, short circuit of the brain, which happens, unfortunately, sometimes. And therefore, and this is important, this is important for the next bit, Rambam says, therefore the hachamim said all of the prophecies of all of the prophets never speak about Olam Ba. They only speak about the days of Mashiach. Why? Because no prophet, even through prophecy, can see and understand or grasp Olam Ba, So they've said nothing about it. Olam no eye has seen. Not prophetic eye or anything otherwise. Okay. So we're going to stop here.
0: Wow. Thank you so much. The words of Harambam is so powerful and especially hearing it through the Chacham. It's uh, even more moving. So thank you so much. Um, Does the Chacham have time for some questions?
1: Um, I have some time for for some questions. I have about five, five or seven minutes for questions. Sina is telling me that I have to mention that I will not be giving shiur next week, which is true that I won't. I don't know what we're doing about that. Um, but I do know that next week I'm not even sure so we'll resume I think perhaps the following yes, uh, Alan Before has yep. a question um, the um, presentation from Ramban appears rather binary in the sense that uh, um, what happens to the in-betweeners I mean what happens you, you, you're either there um, with crowns on your heads, uh, enjoying the presence of God Yes. Or you're... Or you're out. <laughs> or you're out. I mean, right. what about so that's, yeah. if you're halfway? Right. So that's a great question. And the truth of the matter is, remember, that the opening words of this peric, right, of this Mishnah, is, <laughs> Which means that every Israelite, because of the covenant, starts off in Olamaba. Abba, right? Yeah, yeah, one has to ruin it, right? It's not the other way around, yeah? And there are levels. So it's not on or off. It's not in or out. Yeah, there are different aspects, perspectives, and so on and so forth. Of Olam so in order for a person to get lost or to, again, all in the belief system, right? In order for a person to be cut out of Allah, there has to be real, full-on rejection of that whole, that whole endeavor. Otherwise, it's assumed that a, an average human being is interested in truth and good things. They may not be the hachamim the with the crowns on their heads and may not have dedicated their entire lives to only such a pursuit. But there is an assumption that there is a, a general desire to understand what is true and real in the world and that people do their best to try and achieve it. And they have to mess it up. Severely, in order to be able to lose that kind of connection, that's why Haram says one has to completely give oneself over to a purely physical life in order to be able to do that. I hope that helps. Okay. Yes. Sir. Thank you, Chahan. I was wondering if you could elaborate a little bit on what you meant by if uh, by the the sitting around uh, and with the crowns on the heads, uh, receiving the face of the Shekhinah, that that would be a letdown if that was a religious experience or if that was a religious experience. Why do I say that? Yeah. Right, because when we think about that, we think of it in physical terms and we think like, okay, how long could the movie go on for? You know, I mean, it could be the greatest greatest thing, but remember that we only experience things in finite terms and we have uh, increasingly poor attention spans. And so we think, okay, well, it'll be fun for a minute, but remember that forever is a pretty long time. So that's what I'm saying. Right, you know, to be, you know, with your wings flying around and just enjoying it forever. It's it's a completely different level and realm of of how how, how I look at things.
0: Gotcha. Thank you. Yeah. Anyone else? Okay. Okay. I think that's good. Uh, so next Wednesday we are not on. We'll be on probably the next one, and we have a Hebrew. Class on Sunday with uh, Rav Elia
1: Zini. Oh, they have... that is a very important class. Sorry, I'm, I don't mean to take over your job, Rav Ohan. But I do want to say two words about, it, if I may. Can I just say two words about? It? For those who can understand the Hebrew, it's a really valuable. I'm going to be at the shiur. I'm going to. I'm coming to the shiur, and not to say that you know. If I'm not there, it's not worth it. I mean, I'm I, I'm coming because of Rav Zini. I've spoken with him this week. He's going to be giving a shiur on on Rabbi Eliyahu bin Amozeg, which is an extremely, extremely, he was a tremendous hacham. I mean, tremendous kind of sells it short, but he was a tremendous hacham. He had some some uh, pushback, especially from Halab and some other areas. And Halab, they, they put him in harem. They put his books in harem, which should intrigue you. Um, but he is really, really one of the greatest hachamim um and I, I, and Rabzini is an expert. I mean, he's been involved with studying Ben Amozeg for over 40 years. So those who understand Hebrew should definitely, definitely attend that Shi'ur or at least try to listen to it if they can't attend. And I've already asked Eli potentially to translate uh, the Shi'ur. So those who can't get it in Hebrew... Hopefully, they'll be able to at least listen with some subtitles in English. So we'll try our best. Sorry to do that. I, I normally would never do that. But I think that... Uh, Thank you. That's good for the translation for us. All right. No problem, Odette.
0: Yeah. We also, we also have the day after. We have uh, starting a series with uh, Rabbi uh, Chaim Angel. So, oh, lovely. So that uh, everyone... That's open to the public as well. So no reason... We have some join. pretty
1: powerful lineups for these uh, these weeks. Excellent.
0: Okay. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining. Thank you so much
1: much for hosting and your your masterful uh, introduction and closing. And thank you, everyone, for uh, being with us tonight. Tonight. Good night. Thank you.